0: There once was a, a, a kid who went to church, and it was a Baptist church. And he was familiar with a whole bunch of other traditions, and everything had meaning. And so he said, well, what does that mean? And What does that mean? And as they walked through the foyer of the church, he said, what does that mean? What does that mean? And the kid was just excited to tell somebody, finally, all of the meaning of all of the stuff. You know, the cross, and the window, and the, the Bible, and the book. And the, the pastor takes off his watch and puts it on the pulpit the guy says, what does that mean? And the kid said, absolutely nothing. I often feel like that. Well, let's go ahead and let's pray, and then we'll get started in the word uh, This awarded. Father, we thank you so very much for your son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day. We thank you for your spirit that works in our heart and causes us to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that as we look into your word this morning, that we'll stay focused on the things that you want us to learn, and that we will uh, yield to the power of your spirit, and as we're yielding to the power of your spirit, that you would make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. I am so very thankful for what you're doing in our lives, and am very excited about where you are going to take us. And I am so thoroughly excited of that day when we get to see you face to face. And that day cannot come soon enough. And so we also pray, please come soon, Lord Jesus. It's in his name and in expectation of his coming that we say, amen. This past week has been a very challenging week for me emotionally. There's a lot going on just in my family, uh, a lot going on just around the world, uh, a lot of stuff going on in the news, and it seems like things are just getting significantly more and more difficult, right? At least for us as American Christians, things seem to get more difficult, and and I use that word "seem" because. I'll be honest with you, I've I've only been on this earth for a short time, so I'm not 100% sure what it was like before I got here. It might have been worse before I got here. Uh, But it seems like things are getting worse. And it's interesting, when things begin to seem like they're getting worse, it can actually be worse than if you're in your worst spot. Because you just keep on telling yourself, it's worse, it's worse, it's worse. And sometimes when you get into that state, really difficult to get your bearings really difficult to to stay yourself really difficult to kind of get your sea legs underneath your underneath you and when you consider that things are already pretty interesting in our world and then you think about the amount of information that we are bombarded with every single day we never get a moment of silence my phone is always going off I'm always getting a A notification that somebody posted something on Facebook. Somebody just tweeted something. There was just an article just written about this. Somebody just preached a sermon about this. And just so many ideas. Some of them good. Some of them bad. Some of them have nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about right now. But there's just this constant bombardment of stuff. And you add in the polarization inside of the church. You add the growing syncretism. You add in the growing... uh, The growing number of people whose love is growing cold towards the Lord. It just seems really, it seems like the difficulty is growing and growing. But the question has to be, how do we then get our bearings back? Like it's not good to be in that state of wobbliness it 's not good to have that oh things are bad, the sky 's falling, and we 're not moving forward i think this, i think I think the enemy and I think our flesh really want us to be there, wants us to be in that state of confusion, wants us to be in that state of hopelessness, but how do we get our bearings right what what are we what are we looking for, and what, what do we define as, as as success, and how do we get our eyes back on that this morning? I think this text is will help us in getting our eyes back on the things that we're supposed to. I think it'll help us with determining where we're supposed to be going, helping us define what success is, and helping us move in that direction. And I think this, this set of verses uh, will really help us, especially in light of some of the things that have been happening around the world. I, last Sunday, if you would have told me some of the stuff that was going to happen this week, I would have said, maybe, I don't know, but I just want you to know that I did not plan to preach this particular subject on this week, but this is just the way that it's fallen, and I think that this particular text is very appropriate for a lot of things going on inside of the church, inside of all of our lives, and around the world. So, go with me to Proverbs 19, and I want to show how we get our bearings right, Proverbs 19, we're going to be in verses 20 through 23. And I'm going to show you four things. Each verse is its own thing. And, and it's going to help us get our bearings right. It's going to help us see the future, help us move towards a successful future. So the first thing about moving towards a successful future, we're going to find in verse 20 of Proverbs 19. And number one thing about fi- of getting a successful future is seeking God's wisdom. If you want to have a successful future... You have to start with seeking God's wisdom. Then in the next verse, in verse 21, uh, future success by acknowledging God's sovereignty. You, You cannot live in this world without some concept of the sovereignty of God and your responsibility and your acknowledgement of that doctrine. Verse 22, we're going to see that future success is about loving people, loving humans, loving men, loving women, Loving, loving one another. And then lastly, in verse 23, future success is defined by fearing God. We have a nasty habit uh, in the world today of assuming that success is amount of people that show up to a thing. Or excitement about that particular thing of itself. Or how much money it generates. But as believers, we have to have a different calibration of success. We have to. Biblically speaking, it, it, it's, it's so obvious in the scriptures of what success looks like. And so before we even get to the book of Proverbs, I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail because I think this is important to show you the end product. What is a successful life? And just quickly go with me to Romans 8. I, I, I really feel like we need to, to get a picture and a definition of success. And then we'll go back through Proverbs and look at, at kind of flesh that out a little bit. But Romans 8, probably pretty familiar to most of us. Romans 8, verse 28. And it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, that's an important qualifying statement, for all those who love God, right? Specific. It's a specific group that all things work out for good, right? It's not everybody. It does. At the end, everybody's all good. No, it's for those who love God. Those things are working out. And then notice the second part of the verse. And he says, uh, And for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? So these things are work. God's causing all things to work together for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Well, the question is, well, how do you know what God's purpose is? How do you know what that good is? Well, Paul, Paul answers it. Notice what he says. He says, For those whom he foreknew, now, some people think that this word for, fore, for foreknew means that God just was back in time and he had like this giant telescope and he looked through the telescope and he saw all of the decisions that you and I were going to make and he says, oh, okay, well, that's what they're going to do because I just saw them do it. It's almost like watching a TV show before you watch it with somebody else and then watching that same TV show again saying, let me guess what's going to happen. You already know what's going to happen. That's not really foreknowing. This word for foreknowledge really has this idea of entering into a relationship with. It's it's to really know somebody. It's to know somebody intimately. This means that there's a group of people that God foreknew. He knew intimately. And notice, those same people he also predestined. That means that there was a destiny that he had for them before they were born. And notice what that destiny is. This is before the foundation of the world. This, This is what he's doing. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the good, that's the purpose, that's success. For us as believers, if we say something is successful, we must have this idea in our mind, and we must start thinking this way, that that is first and foremost that it looks like Jesus. My life is successful because it generally looks like Jesus. A ministry is successful because it looks and sounds like the ministry Jesus would make, right? That's the idea, Christ-likeness. So if we go back to Proverbs, what does this look like? What does somebody who's Christ-like looks like? How do, how do we kind of get our bearings back to focus on that, on Christ-likeness? And notice in Proverbs 19.20, the first, the first thing that helps us get our bearings right that sets us on the course for future success. Notice what it says in verse 20. It says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Now, last week we discussed this verse, but it's so important that I think we need to discuss it again. So when Solomon uses the word listen, this is much more than just hear it, right? This is much more than just, yes, I I heard sound waves come out of someone's mouth. I acknowledge that someone exists because they made noises. This is listen, absorb, understand what is being said with the intent to obey. That's what's meant here, right? With the intent to obey. We say to my kids all the time, are you hearing me or are you listening to me? Did you just hear my voice or are you actually listening? By the way, last week I, I gave the opportunity for anyone to learn about parenting by having my kids come over. And no one took me up on that. Uh, I still want to let you know that that offer still stands. And I will even do it for free. If you hold out a little bit longer, I might even pay you. No, um... No, we're supposed to listen. We're supposed to listen with the hope to obey. And what are we to listen to? We're supposed to listen to advice. Now, this advice is godly counsel. It's the idea of of, of someone who has discernment. It's somebody who, who understands what God wants and then communicates that. So in the book of Proverbs, that would be Solomon. In the book of Proverbs, that would be the father that we found. Ultimately, we would say that true advice starts with God's word. You want to find God's wisdom, it starts here in the word. That's where it starts. And you have to come to the book, not with the attitude, I already know, I already know, I already know what I'm thinking, I already know what I'm going to do, and then read that into the text and then say, see, it's saying what I thought it would say. Rather, it's coming to the text saying, teach me, I'm a child, I need help. And it's letting God's word speak Authentically, It's allowing it to speak with its true intent. But we come to it with the idea of, okay, I'm going to listen. What you say, that's what we will do, right? And then notice the next phrase, and it says, and accept, and accept instruction. The, the word for accept really has the idea of taking something and applying it to oneself, to receive it, to take it. It has the idea of, of building it into one's life. And, and the instruction here would be this idea of discipline, would be the idea of, of telling someone where they're wrong and then telling them where, they, where they're right. And, and the Bible does that. And we need to make sure that who we're listening to, first that we're listening to God's word and that we have the attitude that unless I'm taught by God, I'm not taught at all. And then the people that we then listen to and we get advice from, that they are biblical Beware, there are people who use Bible verses and will say things that sound like what we believe simply so that you join their team. Many times this has happened to me and I've seen people do this where somebody will mention something that I go, I generally agree with that. And then I just kind of let my guard down and I just kind of accept everything else that was said next that is not how we're supposed to act when any human gets up and tells us something. We're supposed to be like Bereans and examine God's word to make sure that it's true, right? That's what it means to be noble-hearted. That's kind of our job, and 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 we are to accept godly advice and godly wisdom, which which will lead us to Jesus and will make us uh, and will help us be more like Jesus. And notice that if we do this, if we come to God's word. We come to the teachings and the doctrines of God's teachings. We accept it to obey. We, we build it into our lives. We accept it and we apply it. Notice that the principle is that you may gain wisdom in the future. This isn't magical, by the way. It's not like you just read a proverb a day and then all of a sudden psh, you get wisdom. We, we've talked about this. This is something that is takes a long time, right? As I'm spending time in God's word, what's he doing? He's knocking out all of those bad attitudes, and he's replacing them with good attitudes, Christ-like attitudes, the Spirit's working on my heart, and each day there should be this progression of looking more and more like Christ. And, And as I'm continually doing this, there should be this noticeable difference over a period of time, and You'll start making decisions with discernment. You'll start making decisions according to God's word. Not because there's something magical just by reading these words, but because you're putting them into practice and you start to say, this sin isn't worth it. Or, man, I did this thing this one time and I didn't really necessarily pray before I did it. I didn't necessarily use discerning principles. I really, it really hurt me and my family, it hurt some relationships. I'm not willing to do that again. And so then you make a different decision and people will stand back and go, wow, that was a wise decision. It doesn't happen overnight. This is something that takes time. But it starts, ground zero of this starts in the word. And so I I think about what's happened this week, especially like in Ukraine with the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Kind of could leave you a little wobbled a little bit, right? Right? little scary on some of the things that they're talking about happening there. Don't like to see people die. For, don't like this. You can wobble a little bit. What's, what should be our first recourse? I need God's wisdom. I need to go back to the word. And, and I, need to, I need to be thinking about this situation. I need to be thinking about my life. I need to get, I need to get focused back on the Lord. I need to be thinking about everything through light uh, of, of the word. And this, this, as we're kind of wobbling, trying to figure out what's going on, Go back to the book. Go back to godly advice. Now there's another one. Verse 21. Things are difficult. We're wobbly. Sometimes hard to get our bearings. How do we move forward for a successful future? We have to acknowledge this next doctrine. Notice in verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. First of all, just make a couple observations with me. Notice it says, many are the plans, plural. And then notice in the second part, it says, but the purpose of the Lord will stand. Notice that as humans, we all have a lot of plans, desires, and they're changing. Notice that the purpose of the Lord, the plan, the will of God does not change. Right? Yesterday, Krista went to Panda Express and called me and said, what do I want? By the time I started the phone call, by the time I ended, I changed my mind at least three times. The desire changed right? really quickly. God does not do that. His plan was from eternity to eternity, and it will stand. It's also interesting, too, just as, as far as, as observation goes, The implication that there are many plans in a man's heart, and the the implication is they won't stand. That's in contrast to the purpose of the Lord. It will stand. You and I might have a lot of desires that don't mean anything. Or we might have a desire that goes against what God wants to do. Guess which one's going to win? Can you guess? It's going to be the one from the Lord. Yeah, your, your plans really mean nothing in light of what God has planned. So let, let's kind of tear this apart and let, let's kind of talk about how this will help us as we become more like Christ. It says many are the plans. You could you could really translate this word desires. You could translate this as a desire, as a thought, as a device, as a purpose. It, it could have the idea of setting goals and, and you want to accomplish those goals, right? So much more than just a, a, a passing fancy but but something that you that you you plan to accomplish right and it says many of these right many plans are in and the ESV says the mind of man we could easily translate this as in the heart of man okay and we could translate this that there are many desires in a man's heart now solomon i don't think here really talks about whether these are good plans whether these are a moral or moral plans or their immoral plans right he just simply states the fact that man has a lot of plans has a lot of desires and a lot of goals we do we have lots of them some of them are good some of them are bad some of them are not good at all right some of them don't mean anything right but we have a lot of these plans And sometimes my plans are counterintuitive to God's ultimate plan, making me like Jesus. Now, I might have a plan that sounds good, and I might be able to justify that my plan is trying to make me look like Jesus, it's trying to make me more like Jesus. But I'm sinful, and I'm a rascal. And it's possible for me to have a plan that has an ulterior motive that's not really what God wants. You see, or I could have a plan that has no moral consequence whatsoever, right? Looking for the perfect sound for my Stratocaster. Okay, that's a nothing plan, right? I'll probably never find that. But I have lots of them. And those things might not come to pass, but, but Solomon points us back and says, look, there's lots of plans, lots of evil plans, lots of good plans, plans, lots of it, but it doesn't matter. That, that doesn't matter. Notice, notice what does. He says, but the purpose, this word for purpose is kind of an interesting word and kind of hard to put into one word, has, has the concept of planning something, making a, a, a giant plan, having a giant purpose, overarching purpose and then communicating how people live inside of that, right? So it's like, it's like I have a battle plan, and then I'm telling people how to execute that plan. That, that's really what this word means. Really hard to translate into one word. So purpose, counsel. The, the, the sense is this, is that God has a desire, just like men have desires, but he has one desire. But because he is sovereign, and because he is in control and he has the ability to implement his plan and his plan is perfect and it uses us guess what at the end of the day what god is doing will be done whether you want it to or not whether you want something else or not his plan and purpose will stand and you say well how does that help us think of the lord jesus christ on the night in which he was going to die or be betrayed and then be taken away to his court. Remember when he was in the garden and when he prayed? What was his prayer? Not my will, but your will. You see, Jesus didn't want to go and die on the cross because that would have been painful, right? He did. He ultimately did, but he was looking at some of the pain and some of the stuff that was going to happen and and that 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 interesting thing when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think he was really looking forward to that. That wasn't going to be fun. It's not like going to a water park. But he said, regardless of my, any anticipation, any, any, uh, any uh, what am I trying to say? Regardless of anything inside of me that says, I don't really want to do that. That's not going to be comfortable. It doesn't matter. Your will is the one that wins out, right? I'm submitting myself to your will. I'm submitting myself to what you have planned for me according to your purpose. I, I'm submitting myself to what is happening. It's that you're in control of it. I think Solomon's proverb here is, how, is causing us to realize that. We all have these plans, but there comes a point where we realize God's the one that's sovereign and is in control. And I have to trust him. I have to trust him. It might not be comfortable, it might not be fun. It might go against what I initially want, but that doesn't matter. I have to trust him. I have to say, okay, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to continue to follow you. I'm going to continue to, to do what the word says, and I'm going to step out in faith and do what you're asking me to do in the place where you have me to do it. I think of when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray what was, what was part of that prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think that's us giving God permission to do what he wants because he's going to do what he wants regardless of our permission. I think that's more for us to go. God has a huge plan. He has a huge agenda. And I need to be thinking according to his agenda. I need to stop looking at my own agendas And I need to get in line with his. How is this helpful for us? Well, think about the verse that we read in the beginning, Romans 8. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's very helpful when times are really difficult, right? And when you don't really understand what's going on, you go, I don't have to understand everything that's going on. I don't. I have to trust him. And I know that it doesn't look good, but he is doing something. And the thing he is doing is going to be good. It might not be comfortable, but it's going to be good. And I know this, that he is making me more like his son, Jesus Christ. And I need to be obedient in the midst of this time. Having that mindset saves you so much time worrying. Saves you so much stress. Saves, saves you so much time of just coming up with these, full, these foolhardy plans and just saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. Instead of trusting in the Lord, resting in his sovereign providence, and being obedient in the situations that are before you, we go out and we try to do stuff. And we try to change it. We're going to fight the culture. We're going to change the culture. Trust God. Be obedient where he has you and that's what he wants such an important such an important truth for us to wrestle with as believers now there's another one notice the third one in verse 20 22 so if the first one is how do i how do i get my bearing straight one i need to go back to the word two i need to understand god's sovereignty notice the third one it says what is desired in a man is steadfast love And a poor man is better than a liar. Here we see that Solomon, as he just got done talking about all the numerous desires that man has, one of those desires that men have is this desire for love, for steadfast love, for godly love, for biblical love. What does that look like? Well, that looks like Jesus. Jesus is love. Jesus coming and dying on the cross for sins, bearing and rising again on the third day, right? Offering free salvation to anyone who comes and believes on him, regardless of one's past, right? I mean, that's love. If you want adjectives to tie to that, go with me quickly to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. What's this love? And I guarantee you when we read this list, all of us would go, yeah, I think that's how I would like to be loved. Just notice in 1 Corinthians 13 4, it says, Love is patient. I mean, wouldn't you want somebody to be patient with you? Don't you desire that, people to be patient with you? Of course. Kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I mean, wouldn't you want somebody to love you like that? I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. I mean, I'll be honest, Krista, if you're watching, I want you to love me like this. But guess what? My wife wants me to love her like this as well, right? I mean, when you think about it, isn't this what all people want to be loved? To have this kind of love? Isn't this kind of like what, what, what when Jesus was asked by the lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, there's two, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and all that's in you. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you would want to be loved, right? I mean, is it, in one sense, you could almost say that's exactly what Solomon's getting at. So the question is, how does this help us for the future? What's the point here? I think, I think the, 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 the implication would be that we should be the type of people that love people. That's what God would want for us to love. As believers, we need to love one another. And I know that sometimes it's difficult, especially in these days post-COVID, with a lot of stuff going on about needles and pieces of clothing over your mouth and all of these other things. It's difficult, right? But what would Jesus have us do? Love one another. And it's in that love for one another that we then show that we're disciples of Christ. Last night, I listened to an interview from the president of the Slavic Gospel Association. He was on Fox News talking about the war. Kind of interesting, the Fox News would go to somebody in the Slavic Gospel Association. As he was talking, the question was, "How how are you handling Ukrainian churches and believers and also Russian churches and believers?" I mean, you have two countries that are fighting against each other and you have churches in both. How are you stopping all of the fights in the church? And and the guy's answer almost made me cry. He said, there's no fights in the church. There's no fights in the church because we're all about Jesus and the gospel. We left the political stuff outside. We're focused on praying for one another, loving one another. Ukrainian believers are sending money to the Russian churches, and the Russian churches are sending money to the Ukrainian churches. That's what it looks like in the church. That's a, they outrank us in that matter, right? As believers, we should be known as those who love one another. Now, we don't produce that love. That's not, we can't just struggle real hard and all of a sudden just love. This is something that, is, that happens because of what Jesus has done on the cross, Because we have the ind- holy, because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, because we're saying no to sin, because we're spending time in the word, and we step out in faith. Love is being generated. But that doesn't erase the idea that we should be known as people who love people. Now, notice, notice the next statement here. It says, what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. And that is a really difficult parallelism to try to figure out what Solomon is meaning here. How did you get to liar from people want to be loved. Here's the idea. The idea is is that you should seek this virtue above all. You should be one who loves your neighbor. And it's better to love your neighbor and, and love them truly than to be a liar and have a lot of money. Meaning it's better to be poor and love your neighbor than to be rich and lie against your neighbor. Moving forward, it's very easy if we lose sight of this love your neighbor. Jesus says, love, love one another as I have loved you. When we lose this idea that we're supposed to be loving, it's very easy for us to look at other people as other. And when they start becoming other, they start becoming enemies. We as believers, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spiritual realities. We are here... To, to glorify Jesus and we glorify Jesus by loving others, by sharing the gospel and sharing what we have with one another. It's what we're called to do. And there's one more. Notice verse 23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Really, this whole study uh, in the book of, of Proverbs has been what does it mean to fear the Lord and what does it look like for someone who fears the Lord and has this deep, deep respect, this deep awe, this, this, this deep love for, for the Lord. What does this look like in our lives? And here Solomon reminds us that it, to have this attitude of the fear of the Lord, this awesome reverence, this leads to life. Because if I respect the Lord and am in awe of him and I love him, that means I'm moving closer to him. And the closer I move to him, the closer I am to life. And when I'm in Christ Jesus, I have life everlasting, right? So this fear of the Lord pushes me towards him. And when I'm closer to the one who gives life, I get life. And notice some of the benefits that he talks about. He says, whoever has it, meaning the fear of the Lord, rests satisfied. The idea is you can sleep at night. You could sleep at night because you have this respect, this awesome respect for the Lord. You are content. That's the picture. There's contentment. There's joy. Why? Because I know the one who gives life. I don't fear man, I fear God. I don't fear the one that can destroy my body. I fear the one that can destroy my soul. And I've given my life to him and I'm following him. And I know what he says. And I know that what he asks me to do is the way of life. And so I can be content regardless of the circumstances that are happening around me. I'm content because I know God. That's why there's contentment there. Because I know him and I have an awesome respect for him. Sometimes we think of contentment as what I have. And, and there is an aspect of what I have I should be content in. But I think contentment is that deep sense of joy. And that deep sense of faith. And that deep sense of resting inside of your soul that rests upon the finished work of Jesus. And just rests in that. And says, I have all that I have in Jesus. And Jesus will take care of me. I was thinking this morning, this principle is true for me in America. It is true for those brothers and sisters in India. It is true for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. It's true. You have the fear of the Lord. You can be content. Now notice this next part of the verse, and it says, and will not be visited by harm. Literally, it means wickedness will not come knocking at your door. It's likely what Solomon means here is if you live a foolish life, there are going to be consequences. Those consequences are going to come legally, right? The court's going to come after you. You're, you're going to break the law, and the law is going to be chasing you. And so the idea here of that evil or that wickedness is this idea of harm will come knocking at your door. You get involved with the wrong people. You do the wrong things, and there's going to be these terrible side effects that are, are coming into your life. And they're going to come knocking on your door one day. And those people who have those bad lifestyles that are constantly looking over their shoulder. Because they've ripped off people and they've hurt people and they're, they're running from the law. They get no rest. They're constantly looking over their shoulders. So the sense is, you fear the Lord, you have contentment and you're able to rest. If you don't fear the Lord and you have a foolish lifestyle... That is going to be a terrible way of living. You're always going to be looking over your shoulder. But we can't help but think ultimately, if one has life in Jesus, I am struggling with contentment now, but one day I will be perfectly content in Jesus when I'm in glory, right? I will be. The opposite is true for the fool. Who doesn't know Jesus, they will not be content in the afterlife. They will experience eternal death. And so, this also acts as a reminder to make sure that we're in Christ Jesus, to make sure that we have believed in Jesus as our Savior. This, this is how we look forward. This is, when things are going crazy, we go back to these, these types of principles, we go back to the Word. We go back to the doctrine of God's character, particularly of his sovereignty. We, we go back to what, what, what is the major command that I'm asked to love my neighbor? And, and what, what is my major purpose here is to love God and to fear him and to respect him. And when I get back to those things, it's easy for me to get my sea legs back, right? It's easy for me to get my bearings right. So things are going crazy around me, but I get these bearings right. As I mentioned in the beginning, it's easy for us to listen to all of the voices that tell us success is this, success is this, this is what you need to be doing, this is what you need to be doing. For the modern church in the United States, a lot of this is success is a lot of people are coming. And so when people start seeing people not come, they all of a sudden become really depressed. We're failing as a church because people aren't coming. That's not how we should measure success as a church. We should measure success as a church as being Christ-like. That, that's it. We shouldn't judge a ministry by how many people it has or how, le- how few people it has. Because I'll tell you, numbers just tell you how many people show up. It doesn't tell you the character of it. It doesn't tell you the nature of it. We, we need to stop viewing success as some sort of political game. That's not going to do us anything. For all of the time that the church has tried to change the culture in the past, it hasn't done a very good job. In fact, it has probably ruined more things than we could ever imagine. When the believer has too many goals and Jesus is not the goal, and we have too many messages and Jesus is not the message, guess what happens? All the other messages raise to the top and Jesus is forgotten. We have millions of desires and ways that we judge success. For us moving forward as believers, we, we need to clear our mind of all of that stuff. And we need to say the goal is Jesus. The goal is to be biblical. The goal is wisdom. That's where we're going. That's where we should go. And, and then when we're wobbling, when things are going crazy, we go back and we refresh our minds and we renew our minds according to his word, understanding his doctrine, understanding who he is understand our purpose and our goal and why we're here and helps us get back on track so that we can honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May the Lord give us the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus who came and died on the cross for our sins. We ask, Father, as we leave this place that we would continually stay focused on the things that are important, that we would put less emphasis on the things that are not important, and help us live a life that's pleasing, worthy of the calling with which you've called us. We ask, Father, that you would uh, give us safety as we go home and then allow us to come back tonight to learn more from your word. We pray for our dear friends and brothers and sisters all around the world uh, who are in difficult situations. We think of our Indian brothers and sisters in the in the jungle. We think of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia. And Father, we pray for their safety. We pray for them that they will have boldness to share the gospel. We, we pray, Father, that you will end some of these major armed conflicts. We thank you so much for Jesus. And we cannot wait till he comes And he will right all wrongs. And we anxiously wait for that day. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name, amen.